Before we dive back into the book of James, I want to ask you a question. How do you get along with people you don't like? Hmm. It seems like a weird question to ask in church, right? Since we're called to love everyone. But I'm guessing that if you're honest, there's probably some people you find, well, mm, challenging, right? We all have it, don't we? How do you get along with people you don't like? Relationships are tough, aren't they? Have you ever had an experience like feeling uh, like an outsider? It's pretty rough and it's a pretty painful experience. We've all felt that way one time or another. I had a couple experiences in childhood where I moved to a new school. Man, that's the worst. That's a big bummer. Everyone has their circle of friends and you feel like a foreigner, like you don't fit in with anyone. You feel left out for a time. And then do you remember gym class? Or the gym teacher would select two captains of a team and then they would begin to choose the team. And doggone it, there was always the person that was last chosen. Nobody wanted to be picked last. Maybe it's the place where you work. Everyone else seems to get along and sometimes they pretend like you're not even there and it's hard to feel left out. There are also maybe some people who look at you that way, who are the people who might want to be friends with you, but they don't feel like you really understand them or care to get to know them. Hopefully you aren't intentionally trying to exclude anyone, uh, but they may feel that way. Maybe it's prejudice or bias or partiality. And favoritism is common in the world. The way James describes this issue is to exalt or elevate a person based on some external things like appearance or wealth or gender or social status or position. And favoritism isn't limited to one race or group of people. It's a sin that any uh, person, any race or even a whole country can struggle with. And it's ugly wherever it rears its head. On a personal level, favoritism is just heinous. It causes neighbor to uh, turn against neighbor and the rich to abuse the poor and it can stir up hatred and bitterness. Partiality can also pop up in religion frequently. During the time of Jesus, uh, the Jews were extremely prejudiced. They looked down on women and foreigners and Samaritans and tax collectors and the uneducated and all outsiders. Basically everyone but educated Jewish males. James is going to talk to us about all these things today. And one of the things about human nature is that we tend to hang out with people who are like us. We tend to group ourselves by age or hobbies or race or wealth or political opinions or financial status. And you don't need me to tell you this, but we live in a world that is very, very polarized. I think I have never seen it in such a way in my whole lifetime. And I think you can probably agree with me. And this happened in the early church too. The teams were different, but the game was the same. 
The rich and the poor didn't get along. The slave and the free didn't get along. But in the book of Acts, we see when God's Holy Spirit came, it started doing some supernatural things among people. The Holy Spirit moved in power, and a whole bunch of people got saved, and they were drawn into the church. And the Bible says that all believers were together and had everything in common. And God bonded them together by His Holy Spirit. So let's jump in to James chapter 2 and see what James has to say to us today. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. And another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Hmm. Wow. It has things have, this was written in like AD 65, and things haven't changed much, have they? We do this in society, too. I've been upgraded twice to first class on an airplane, on a jet, and it amuses me. When people who are flying first class, and I've been on that end, watching the poor schleps walk down the aisle to the back seat, and you're sitting here sipping on your cocktail. And then I've been on the other side, walk down that aisle, look at people in the first class. You know, there was a time in the Methodist history when we literally sold the right to the best pews in the sanctuary. They were in the front row. Notice how the front rows aren't being utilized today. This is not prime real estate in the church anymore. But these back seats in the balcony, that's prime real estate in the church now. One group of Methodists didn't think this was right. They thought pews should be free. And that's one reason the free Methodist denomination was started. Isn't that fascinating? Now, it's fine if that's the way things go in the world. You get what you pay for, don't you? But here at church, you're a part of the family of God, of God. And it should be different. Do your parents organize you by income at the Thanksgiving table? No. Our God is a God of grace. At church, we proclaim that the ministries are free. Heaven is free. Salvation is free. In a family, you know, like for my kids, I always pick up the tab. In a business, you get what you pay for. When you come to church, it should be different than the world where we judge by what we see. We look at other people and prejudge them, which leads to partiality. That's what James is talking about. What are the things we look for when we judge people on the external? Maybe we look at the way they 
what, what they're wearing or their jewelry or their neighborhood or their vacation pictures on social media or who they hang out with. Or where are they on the organizational chart? The physical appearance. Dave Ramsey said, We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. <laughs> Gosh, isn't that true? The key to not looking down on people is to look up, James says, to our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's what James calls him in those verses. Did you catch it? He's the highest authority in all of the universe. And we get so worried about where to sit on the organizational chart or in the family or in the cul-de-sac that we forget the seat that really matters. And it's the seat before the throne of God where we'll all sit under, sit in that seat. And so we focus our attention up unto him. And what does Jesus do? He levels the ground in which we all sit. If you're struggling with pride or impressed with yourself, the way to fix that is to look up to God. Jesus is that great leveler. It doesn't matter so much what you make today this is a brief moment. It's just a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And someday we will stand before Jesus. So let's pick up verse, uh, James chapter 2, verse 5. He says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Is it the rich who oppress you and drag you in the court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. There's a difference between the economics of finance and the economics of faith. It's fine to have money, but we also need to pay attention on what's on the inside. Are you as concerned about having the fruits of the Spirit as you are about having the fruits of your wealth? Are you concerned about having the fruits of the Spirit as you are about having the fruits of wealth? It shouldn't be either or. We tend to be attracted to people with external assets because of what they can do for us. But if we focus on these things, we're going to overlook some of the best people in the world who may not have all the fancy stuff, but they live a life fully dedicated to the Lord. Who you are is more important than what you have. Life is better when we surround ourselves with people who are godly and can fill us with faith and lift us up into a higher reality of God's spirit and God's wealth. James is calling out certain rich people who were doing ungodly things. They were lawyering up. They were taking the poor to court. They were taking advantage of them. They were also speaking against their faith. 
So they were hurting them both financially and in terms of their faith. And James is saying, why do you want to favor these people who are hurting you? So it's not just a condemnation of rich people because they have money. It's a challenge to not show partiality to the rich people just because they're rich. You can be godly and be rich. You can be godly and be poor. Jesus once told a parable of a rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. The rich man had everything. Fine clothes, fine food, fine huge mansion. The poor man, Lazarus, had nothing. He sat outside the rich man's gates begging for money, and his body was covered in sores. In time, poor Lazarus died, and the angels carried him right up to heaven and placed him right beside Father Abraham. And Jesus said the rich man also died, and he went to Hades where he lived in torment. Still thinking like he had he had when he was alive on earth, everyone served him. The rich man asked Father Abraham to send Lazarus down to Haiti so he could serve him some cold water because the fire and heat was unbearable. Are there certain preferences that you have allowed to become prejudices? It's fine to have preferences. We all have them. But when preferences become prejudices, we have a problem. When you start looking down on people because they don't dress according to your standards or they live in the wrong zip code or they don't send their kids to the places you send your kids or they didn't retire when you retired or whatever litmus test, then you've got a problem. It's self-righteousness and pride that make us think we are better than others or make us treat people in such a way just to get something in return. God is just and fair and objective. And this is a fundamental attribute of His. And we should strive to follow the example, that perfect example of Jesus Christ, to be just and fair and objective as Christians. His ministry, Jesus Christ's ministry, was primarily directed toward the poor and toward the sinners, those who were looked down upon in the world. Not Pharisees are important leaders. The poor are more receptive to the gospel, especially the poor in spirit. And we should emulate Christ's compassion for those people. Mother Teresa is an example of a Christian who didn't let preferences or prejudices get in the way of serving people. She once said that she did things, uh, the things that she did because she wanted to do something beautiful for God. She said, I do it for Him. And that's what was on her tongue constantly as she served. Mother Teresa opened herself uh, completely to what God wanted of her. In fact, she once uh, made a vow never to refuse God anything that God wanted her to do. And she simply wanted to be, as she said, like a pencil in God's hands and allow God to write mercy into the world through her. You see, Mother Teresa was able to see the face of Jesus Christ in those whom she brought God's mercy and love to. 
She saw the face of Jesus in the poorest of poors, those with terrible disfigurements and disease, those abandoned and dying on the streets for malnutrition. And it didn't matter to her if a per- who was in need, whether it was a Catholic or other Christian or Hindu or Muslim. For her, Calcutta was everywhere. And Mother Teresa teaches us that when we show mercy, it opens up for us a window through which we can see the face of Christ in all those who suffer in this world. You remember the story of, that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector who went up to the temple to pray? The Pharisee was full of himself. He was self-righteous and he looked down on other people. He thanked God that he wasn't like all the other sinners, evildoers, adulterers, or even, and he pointed at the tax collector, like this tax collector. Meanwhile, the tax collector, he couldn't even look up. He stood at a distance. He beat his breast and asked God to have mercy on him because he knew he was a sinner. And Jesus said it was the tax collector who went home justified before God. You see, we have to get beyond the outward stuff and just think of Jesus himself and the mercy that was given to us through him. And think about Jesus. He was unemployed. He was homeless. No kids. No spouse. Quit his skilled trade in order to be a traveling preacher. Parents were simple people. Some of his closest friends were sketchy at best. And yet he was the son of God. You see, your net worth doesn't determine your self-worth. And some of us need to find freedom in that. You may not be wealthy, but you can be ridiculously generous with love. We all have limited finances, but we have unlimited ability to love each other, just as he loves. And Jesus' command is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And doesn't that mean that we're supposed to love others only for how they might be of benefit to us? It's not, how can you benefit me? But how can I benefit you? You see, we exist for the benefit of others. We are poured out like drink offering for others. What is best for you, even if it is not best for me? Jesus set the ultimate example of this, and he went to the cross for you and for me freely. He emptied himself of all but love. And you see, the world and the church are very different, my friends. The world runs on judgment, but the church runs on mercy. Let's pick back up at James chapter 10, or chapter 2, verse 10. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all the laws, God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. You know, we tend to have moral 
outrage against those whom we view as worse than us. This is why sometimes you see people teeing up other people on social media. Because if I can show you how bad that guy is, then maybe you won't look at my problems. We're trying to grade on the curve. And God is grading on pass-fail. If you're trying to be saved by following the law, then you have to obey the whole thing, James says, all the time. And that's an impossible standard. You and I aren't going to be able to do that. So that means we need to be merciful because we want God to be merciful to us. Jesus told another parable about a king who decided to settle his debts. He called one of his servants who owed him an incredible vast sum of money. And this servant couldn't repay it. And the king said to him, I'm going to sell you and your family into slavery to work off that debt. But the servant begged, begged for mercy. And after listening to the servant's plea, the king took pity on him and released him and forgave his debt. Jesus said the very same service servant ran into someone who owed him a few dollars. And the servant demanded him that he pay up, but the guy couldn't. So the evil servant had that man uh, thrown in the debtor's prison. The news got back to the king, who was furious that he had not shown mercy in the same way he himself had received mercy. So he had him thrown in jail. There are no perfect people. Only Jesus, and we killed him. He died for our sins. So we now have a choice. Are we going to be judged by God's law or by God's mercy? I don't know about you, but I want the mercy plan. Jesus took my sins and yours. When he went to the cross, Jesus took all the judgment, and we got all the mercy. We have to make a choice. Will you trust Jesus as the one who will pay the price for your sin? Or are you going to continue to try to pay this on your own? That's a dangerous plan, my friends. Because the Bible is really, really clear that we cannot do it. God's standard is to be perfect as he is perfect, and, and I'm not. So I need a perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ to pay the price for my sins. We're going to pray in a moment. And if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, if you ever asked for mercy, there's no better time than now than to make that decision and ask. You see, when we begin to comprehend the enormous, unfathomable price Jesus paid to forgive our sins, we begin to understand what he is asking us to do for others in forgiving others and showing others mercy. And it all starts with seeing people the same way Jesus sees them. So how are you doing with loving those who are different from you? Maybe God is calling out something in you this morning. Maybe a judgmental attitude toward those who have less or look different or come from a different background or who are on a lower organizational chart. Friend, I know that by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, you and I can be set free from these things. 
free to love as Jesus loves them, free to look up to Jesus so that you don't have to look down on others, free to look at the inside, not the outside, and freedom to show mercy to those around you. So let's pray, and let's ask God for that freedom. Almighty God, we pray that you would work a transforming miracle within us, that we would see your great mercy and love, and that we would see ourselves in light of that great mercy and love, and that we would live and exist for the benefit of others in that freedom, in that mercy, and love the way that you love Jesus Christ. Come, minister unto us this day. May we take the teaching of James and live it out in a powerful and profound way. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.